Welcome to HQ Wave Radio. I'm Francis. And I'm Alana. And this is a show about two best friends. Hey guys, I hope you're ready for this episode because I'm ready. So am I. Good. Let's do it. We have a special guest this episode, Rachel! Hey! Rachel, I am so thrilled to have you on this show because uh, we're trying out something a little bit different this time around. We actually have a template for new um, people that come onto our show. Usually we just throw them on there and we just say, this is a person who's in our lives and we know personally and that's about it. And that's like, we don't give much context. Yeah, I I would throw in my sisters and be like, you guys are are the bitches I've been talking about (laughs) in previous episodes. (laughs) You stole my Neopets points. They, know, they, they oh need no God. introduction. Yeah. But this time I'm like, you know, I want to give the audience a bit more context. And because, uh, you know, we're going to be setting up a, a really good podcast episode for them. So I feel like giving them context is going to be really helpful. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. My name is Rachel. I'm glad I'm introducing myself because based off of what Francis just said, I would not want him to do my intro. (laughs) Um, And I currently live in the D.C. area. Mm -hmm. I know Alana because we've worked together in the past. And I'm very excited to tell you all about the very first career I had, which there are many misconceptions about, but it's also extremely exciting and Mm -hmm. very gratifying. Yeah. And I'm super excited to get into that. We actually have... Uh, prepared outline you know uh, regardless of what people think based on the quality we are pretty high quality over here like we prepare our stuff ahead of time we send emails with the outline I mean we you know dot our I's and cross our T's let me tell you <laughs> Um, so how, I mean, you've only done it once, which was with me, but yes. Yeah. Well, so how did you guys meet? What was the first meeting story? Yeah. First meeting story. I don't really remember because I think I actually heard about Alana from others oh, long really? before wow. I actually met her. That's so wow. ominous. Oh, so God. So she had, been, like, <laughs> she had been working at um, your place of work for a while she, at that point? She had been. I, I don't. I think we actually started around the same time, so she hadn't been there that much longer than me, but as we all know, Alana has a huge and very colorful personality. Yeah, that's true. And so she had already developed quite a reputation. And so when I started, uh, a couple of people, um, several different people separately told me that Alana was this really amazing dancer. And by amazing, I mean very unpredictable, crazy, and sometimes dangerous. Um, And I actually saw a video of her dancing before I even met her. Oh, my gosh. But really, this is all you need to know. Was this from, like, the Christmas party? No, it wasn't. It was at someone's house, I think. And the dancing was so aggressive and in the moment that I think you like punch somebody in the face yeah I think that was Labor Day what and, uh, Kathy's. I, I don't even know this you punch someone in the face while yeah. you were dancing yes yeah. Alana yeah. he wouldn't get away <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so yeah that was my introduction to Alana so before I even met her I already knew everything that there really was to know about her <laughs> do, you, do you remember meeting Rachel uh, I do actually, and also I remember your reputation kind of preceding you as well. Oh, no. um, Crazy dancing. Of... This is where she gets even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no. It's well, it's because of your very different and interesting career path, and it was just so like different for all the people that we had 
hired previously that was like, oh my god, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, and also awesome. And I can't wait to go and ask all these questions that now we're going to be asking. And spoiler, she used to be a zookeeper. <gasps> oh, we're diving in! <laughs> we're diving in! She's a zookeeper! I'm, I'm like, just super excited. I feel like there are so many questions that like people have that I have uh, misconceptions yeah. and just like stories and is it just like the movie Madagascar like there's just so many things that like we're dying to know so that's why we're super excited to have you here and we can't wait to get started sounds so, so Rachel what got you started in zookeeping yeah that's a great question because it's such an unusual career choice and a yeah. lot of people don't know how to get into it because it's not really something that's traditionally taught in schools right. and ask, there's like, so few zookeepers you don't like have an uncle that taught you you yeah. know how to yeah. Well, yeah yeah like did you study for it in college like how did you get into it i didn't study for it in college but i actually started my zookeeping career when i was 11 years old um which is very surprising to people but yeah. uh, zoos like many other nonprofits, they really depend on volunteers and so I was living in San Francisco at the time and they have a volunteer program called the nature trail program yeah and I my birthday just made it because you're supposed to be 12 but I like just made it by the skin of my teeth where I could start at 11 and I was that was like the first day that I started really like working hands-on in zoos Mm -hmm. and I did it for 17 years did they start you off small? Like, did you have, like, the petting zoo, and then you worked your way up? Yeah, so when I first started at San Francisco Zoo, I was really learning how to handle the different education animals. These are what we normally refer to as animal ambassadors, so we use their lives to teach people all about them and their importance. Hmm. And so I learned how to do a lot of public speaking at that age and how to handle animals, and I stayed in that program for about five to six years. And as you progress in the program, then you start learning how to actually do the animal husbandry, Mm -hmm. cleaning up after them, making their diets, all that stuff. The the stuff that's a little bit harder. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, yeah. Well, but so what drew you, so you're 11 years old and like, who knows, oh, I want to be X. I mean, some people do, I guess, but like, how did you go like, I'm 11, just about to turn 12. This is absolutely, or was it just like a fun summer and then it turned into something more? Right. Like, like, was it, you know, like how somebody, people get into karate and then like they stop after a while. Like what drew you in? (laughs) To keep going. Yeah. To keep going. You know, like as a kid, like it's easy to lose interest in something. Because like 12 is a very, you know, turbulent time. it's getting weird all up in your body I mean what was it yeah so in addition I'm battling those hormones uh, that I was going through in my preteen angst years yeah um, I always loved animals and my family we grew up with pets all the time and I just was very drawn to zoos and aquariums and museums in general I just love those types of spaces where you can learn and I love um, doing work on the ground I like getting my hands dirty I definitely was more of a tomboy um, than like a girly girl, so -hmm. to speak. And so everything about zookeeping really drew me in, especially at that age when I didn't understand that salaries were important and that (laughs) there would be bills. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so that is what really drew me in and got me to stay for so long. And so I've done everything from, you know, work at the SF Zoo, as I've mentioned, California Academy of Sciences. Um, I've also done field work with the Golden Gate Raptor Observatory and some field work through the Fairlawns Marine Sanctuary. And then I've also done wildlife rehabilitation through places like the Marine Mammal Center. Wow. 
And what would you say is the most common misconception about zookeeping? Yes, the most common misconception about zookeeping, a lot of times when people think of a zookeeper, the first question that I get asked is, oh, do you get to play with the animals? That is the number one question. And I want to bring up what I think is somewhat of a comparable metaphor. That would be like me asking a new mom, you know, like how often, you know, you must play with your baby all the time. Really, the majority of zookeeping is actually cleaning. It's like cleaning and diet preparation and making sure that these animals have everything they need to thrive. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is very, very rarely that you actually can afford the luxury to have that time in the day where you don't have to work and you can just play. The other thing yeah. is that all these animals that we work with, um, a lot of them are not domesticated in any way and you do not want yeah. to play with them. They don't understand what play is. Um, yeah. It's extremely dangerous. You know, I don't want to play with a rattlesnake. Um, yeah, this is my second, yeah. like, that was my first thought was like, yeah. why would I want to play with a lion to begin with? Exactly. Like, yeah. There's no, <laughs> yeah, like there's exactly. no reason. <laughs> and you know, these, uh, there's a lot of videos on YouTube and there's a lot of other videos on social media that are going around that perpetuate these misconceptions about exotic animals yeah um, and we're seeing more and more now that that doesn't really work out it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when and yeah. you know recently in the news we just saw two separate instances where people are getting attacked by bison in Yellowstone they're petting them they're getting way too close one of them walked in between two males that were fighting Oh my gosh. Um, and it's it, it the problem is sometimes sometimes in the media sometimes on social media even uh, animals are portrayed as like you know being these more like cartoonish yeah things. i i think i watched something on youtube where like this guy had been or was like cuddling with like some lions or whatever but like they almost you never you never hear about the fact that he's been with that lion those that lion herd for a while mm -hmm. like he's been with them and like they know him and you know like this has been a long process it wasn't just something that hey i'm gonna walk up to the, this group of wild animals and uh, attempt to snuggle with them you know yeah, yeah. and ultimately they're unpredictable yeah. and even their version of play can kill you so yeah. um the biggest mis misconception really is that everybody thinks that we play with the animals yeah. but there's truly no time in the day we spend about four hours in the morning every single morning first thing starting at 6 30 a.m cleaning the second we're done cleaning all the enclosures, because we're responsible for many different types of animals, um, is diet making. And that usually takes about an hour. And then the next step would be spending at least an hour creating enrichment, which are, you know, going to be like puzzle feeders or, you know, things, really oh. cool items that cause the animals to really spark their interest or try and problem solve. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we call enrichment, because it enriches their lives. And then we have time for a quick lunch which is the only time that we ever really sit down at all during the day. Yeah. And then we, once we're done eating lunch, we get right back up. We start distributing all of the afternoon diets. Uh, then we'll start training animals. We might do another round of enrichment. Then by the end of the day, you're already bringing the animals inside. You're giving them, you know, the last of their medication, their diets. Yeah. And then you're making sure everybody's secure. And then you leave for the day. And that's really the whole day. Um, wow. Maybe if you have time, you can do a lot of training. But depending on the animal um, and, and how big a section is and how short-staffed you are, you might not be able to even do that. So it's, yeah. it's a very physically demanding challenge job that doesn't involve a lot of play yeah and I mean also I feel like another understandable response too is like it, you know I think there is a difference between work and play and it, there's that whole uh, idea of like you know if you do things for work maybe you feel like oh well that's work like I don't want to go I want to separate out like personal time from professional time yeah did you feel like having 
Uh, or some people have an experience where they go and work a job or work in a certain field and then they hate it because they had this horrible experience or they did it for so long that they lost the enjoyment. Like, did that, did your experience 17 years, like, taking care of animals, you know, dampen your love for animals? Or it was it, did, were you able to, like, separate it out? Like, this is work, but it doesn't change how I feel about animals, which is also why I worked it. I don't know, just, like, curious, did you ever find that those, like, boundaries were blended? Yeah, they're definitely blended. It's, it's really hard. I mean, I would compare it even to, like, public school teachers, where it just, the two sort of melt together and when you're even when you're not at work you're constantly wondering wait did I lock that lock like you know did I make sure you know could I have done this better and blah 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 like yeah. you care so much because these animals lives depend on you doing a job and doing a good job and so it's really hard to to walk away and say okay I'm clocked out work's done and I'm no longer thinking about the lives of these animals that I've, you know, cared for for 20 years. Like, I mean, it's really hard to to disconnect and, you know, keep the two separate. Right. Yeah. Because they're really not that separate. Right. I mean, they're like your family, especially yeah. with zookeepers. You, you almost spend more time with the animals than you do with your family because you have to work weekends. You have to work holidays. When there's a baby born, you work that overnight shift. I mean, animals don't take days off, so you can't, you know. Either. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. incredible. Um, I feel like that's a, a mindset that when people like take in pets, like they don't have or they don't understand, like they see it as a pet, mm -hmm. but not necessarily like a family member. Like you still have to take care of them. There's still that kind of hard work involved with having another life depend on you. And some people, when they take in like a stray cat or stray dog, think it's all cuddles and fun. But no, it's not. It's, you know, like you have to feed them, you have to walk them, you have to water them, um, give them their medications, you know, yeah. things like that. It's, it's a lot of hard work, and right. yeah, sympathize with that. Yeah. Okay, so, Rachel, I have to know, what was the scariest day on the job? I feel like zookeeping can be pretty terrifying. I mean, it, you even said, or we're touching on the fact that these are rather dangerous animals. These are wild animals you're working with, so, but can, there must have been a couple of scary days. Can, can I tell you what, like, my fear would be? Sure, it would be yeah. like a wide scale breakout of all the animals into like <laughs> into the city. Like what is that one movie where like Madagascar all, was it at it? Yeah, <laughs> and they just like all escaped. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a really common zookeeper dream. Is like something escaping, dream? like yes. a good dream, not it's like, like a, a nightmare. Bad. So uh, yeah. yeah, I belong to a couple of zookeeper groups on Facebook, and sometimes <laughs> people are like, "Man, I had like the craziest dream, zookeeping related." You know, this animal got out. Blah Guess blah blah. Which yeah. came <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that's so, it's a it's a fear of ours, a very deep seated yeah. fear of ours. Th does yeah. it does it happen a lot? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> I will say that any stories I share with you, I will not disclose the names of the facilities that they okay. occurred. Um, fair, fair. But animal escapes do happen. Um, and, you know, just like anything else, the more frequently you need to access anything, an enclosure or what have you, um, the, the greater likelihood there is for something to happen. Um, right. Just because the odds are, are just much higher. There are animal escapes that happen frequently um, that just don't make the news because a lot of them aren't newsworthy. Maybe, you know, an enclosure wasn't totally secure and a non-dangerous animal got out, like a hedgehog or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
that's not going to make the news. Um, so, th so these things do happen from time to time. Zookeepers are, you know, fallible human beings. So, so we're not perfect. We, right. we try to be really on top of things. Um, and we do have a lot of different procedures and protocols in place. The more dangerous an animal is mm -hmm. to make sure, um, you know, that we're really minimizing risk. For example, um, a really dangerous animal will have, you know, primary uh, containment and then they'll have secondary containment, things like that. So if an animal is able to break out of one area, they're There's still another. enclosed in another area. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so we do different things to try and protect ourselves, you know, increase communication. We label lots of different things to make sure certain gates are, you know, not used or used, uh, things like that. But uh, they, they do happen. Hmm. So, so what is your um, worst day then? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It doesn't it doesn't sound like an escape. Let's let's get dark. Um, yes. So the scariest day I ever had as a zookeeper. It actually still really scares me um, when I think about it. And it's with an animal that you wouldn't necessarily think is very dangerous, but they are incredibly dangerous. Um, and I'll I'll tell you how the day started. It started just like any other day. We had volunteers, teenage volunteers, and, and full-time keepers and things in our commissary area, which mm -hmm. is where we prepare diets. And we were just making diets, listening to the radio, and everything seems fine. And I have never heard a call on the radio before this day, like the call I heard, nor had I ever heard a call on the radio after the day I heard this call. Huh. Um, it it is it was so crazy we were just chopping away the vegetables and stuff and all of a sudden you hear this like very garbled panicked sound on the radio and you couldn't make out a single word but you could tell that the person on the other end of that radio was panicking something was happening i mean yeah. it was just like a and it went dead um, complete silence. And when you're working at a facility where there are gorillas and there are lions and there are, you know, vipers and yeah. many, many animals that can kill a person. Yeah, that's terrifying. It is terrifying. We turn off the radio and I'm telling you, it's like nobody could say anything. And we sat there and we didn't hear another sound for a few minutes. So... The first thing that immediately goes through my mind is, did I just hear this person say their last words? Yeah. Because I don't know if they're actively being attacked. I don't know if they're being attacked by a member of the public who's crazy. I have no idea if they're being attacked by a dangerous animal. And as a zookeeper, your, your brain is trained to think in certain ways. Yeah. Is this an animal that got out? Is this a dangerous animal that lives with other animals and all of those other animals are out? Yeah. You have no yeah. idea. And um, the next call that came out was, code red, code red, code red, attention all staff, like we have, you know, this animal is out, blah, 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 like all this stuff. And it turned out that it was a, a male zebra who had gotten out of primary containment. So he was still quasi, you know, he was still contained in secondary, but yeah. he was out of primary, um, which means that he was still in the vicinity with, with people. And this is a male zebra who had previously attacked his male keeper and ripped off his ear and some of his fingers. Oh my, oh my god. god! Extremely aggressive. Zebras are not like horses. They are testosterone-filled, steroid. I mean, they are like zebra times a hundred. 
Oof. And this is a male who had a history of attacking people and trying to kill them. So it was that zebra. He had he had gotten out and um, it was very terrifying. So immediately, you know, we're like, protect the people. So we shut down the entire facility, you know, law enforcement came, um, we, but we had, we're, we're a tourist attraction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we have, okay, we have visitors, we have visitors on zoo grounds. And so we all ran, um, outside and we were like, get inside the building. And we're like getting members of the public and families and children. And we're like, get inside the building, get inside the building. And we're securing all the buildings. We're locking them down. We're getting everybody inside hunkered down. Um, and it's, it's challenging too, because you have custodial staff, not all of them speak English. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a very challenging situation. And, um, then we also have to figure out what to do with ourselves. So in an animal emergency, I mean, yes, you are supposed to protect yourself, but one of the responsibilities of being a zookeeper is that you're a first responder. So rather than running away from the danger, we actually go toward it. Hmm. So that was really scary because um, we basically had to spread ourselves out. That way, if the zebra got out of secondary containment and was, you know, running down the pathway or through the gardens or going elsewhere, you know, we could all have, uh, we could position ourselves where we could get a visual and be able to communicate over the radio, like where it's going. So at this time, did you know where the zebra was? Um, we knew that the zebra was still in secondary containment in that section. Okay. So it hadn't broken out or anything, uh, yet, um, but we also had zookeepers that were trying to protect other animals in the surrounding area because we know the zebra is so aggressive. Mm -hmm. So we had zookeepers actually jumping like hot wire fences and going into exhibits to corral other animals nearby Oof. into their enclosures so, yeah. or their, into their holding areas. So very, very scary. So, and, so this zebra was that aggressive? Yeah, like he really was, aggressive. Wow. Yeah, he, he ain't messing around. I mean, he got out on purpose. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. the, the door, the gate wasn't totally secure, but he also, like, pushed through it yeah. to get to a person. Um, and the whole time, you know, we see the veterinary staff, um, because they have tranquilizing equipment, you know, we're seeing them, everyone's like flying up toward the section of the zoo, but we're still hearing the keepers on the radio. Yeah. So you can hear them also not only telling everybody what's going on, but talking to each other because there were two keepers in the immediate area where the zebra was. <gasps> so you can hear them saying, get down, get down. He's right behind the door. Like, turn around, go around the other corner. Oh like, gosh. he's coming towards you. Like, I mean, you could hear the whole thing play out. Yeah. And it's like, I get chills just like thinking about it. And I can't even imagine like what their lives are like today. Because if I was going through something like that, like I don't, you, yeah. you could not like walk yeah. out the door the same person. Yeah. And, um, after all was said and done, thank goodness, you know, it does have a happy ending. The zebra was eventually, you know, brought back into primary, con you know, containment or whatever. And, like, no people got hurt. But I heard that the door that the um, keeper had barricaded herself behind actually had his hoof prints all over it. Jesus. Um, because he was trying to get to her. Wow. Yeah. That's, ter that's terrifying. It's really scary. So well, I just can't even, I can't. So, so my first thought is, like, like. Jurassic Park, like, <laughs> oh yeah, like with the raptors, except you know, with a zebra, with a testosterone-filled zebra. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It sounds just as scary. I mean, like, it sounds humorous, but also now like terrifying. Kind of terrifying. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, what was that garble at the beginning? Like at the. I think radio? it's it's either like her running and trying to talk, or she can't even find the words, but she's trying to alert people. Like, yeah. you know, I don't I don't know what happened, but like normally radio talk is like. 
you know, Rachel to Alana, do you copy? Oh, hey, Rachel, I copy. Oh, hey, you know, where are you at right now? And blah, blah, blah. All right, I'll see you then. Okay, copy, yeah. you know, whatever. It's like, it's something very easy like that. Yeah. But to hear something like that, you yeah. know, where somebody is clearly being attacked or, or something is very yeah. wrong. Where it was like long enough, it wasn't just like a mistake. Like she right. wanted to send Some, something up. Yeah, something was definitely up. And then the dead silence is, is hard because you don't know what to do unless you have more information. So right. all you can do is sit and wait. Right. Yeah. So that was definitely the scariest Oof. day I've ever had as a zookeeper. <laughs> um, really I'm yeah. glad I won't be having any more of those Oof. days. Yeah. yeah. That, I think this is like the most stressful moment I've had on the podcast yet. <laughs> like, oh my that God. Was really that was, that well, was, that that was gripping. I, that I was gripping. I told the story well because yeah. that's exactly how I felt. Like I get emotional just thinking about it. It was like really, really scary because, well, you know, as I was standing on the pathway waiting for, you know, a zebra to come barreling down and trample over me or not. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Am I going to come home tonight? Like, I, you know, I have no idea. But then also yeah. it's a part of you is like, this is what I signed up for. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. So following that harrowing story, uh, what are the like best animals or what are your favorite rather? Like what are oh, they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah let's <laughs> Let's, Let's make it a on. little lighter now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 now that I've relived my trauma. Well, because you know what I'm thinking is like, man, I like zebras, are, I would have thought were just like nice horses with just stripes on it, but oh my God. Right. Or Chris Rock from well, I guess, Madagascar. Like, yeah. <laughs> Chris Rock or, or fruit stripes, the yeah. zebra, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I would not have thought that I would ever get attacked by a zebra. Well, let alone a horse, but you know, I guess that happens too. Yeah. yeah. But you it know, does. yeah, like what are, what are the nicer animals in the yeah. zoo population? <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know if I can speak to what animals are, are nicer in personality. I will say that usually... The less, how can I say this nicely, uh, cognitively <laughs> less complex an animal is, yeah. um, usually the more docile they'll be. So uh, let's turkeys. take a really intelligent turkeys. animal, for example. No, turkeys going to be, male turkeys going to be pretty bossy. So can females if there's no males around. But um, uh, like, like parrots, for example, hmm. are very intellectual. So are crows and ravens and other corvids. Right. Uh, they're really smart, so they can be really mean. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. as or how we perceive to be mean because they can manipulate and, and do things to us for their own entertainment and things like that. Um, so usually animals that are less cognitively inclined um, will be a little bit easier to work with because they're just way more straightforward, like feed me and I pooped and, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, my favorite animals to work with, Alana, and you probably already know, but I love cats. Yeah. I love all cats. <laughs> um, and I really like birds of prey. So you saw the tattoo that I have on my shoulder. It is of a cat, but yeah. I actually have a tattoo that goes across diagonally across my back. And it is of uh, raptor feathers and uh, the silhouettes of some peregrine falcons because that was like the first bird of prey that I really ever trained. Yeah. I really like birds of prey, like eagles, hawks, falcons, you know, all that stuff. They're so cool to me. So. so it sounds like you really love like predators and I just do. kind of dealing yeah, up in that earth. There's some <laughs> thrill to predators. I mean, you know, not to knock my hoofstock fans. Um, there, there are, I, I know a lot of people that love their hoofstock and you, you know, you, you have people that love like working with um you know bugs or you know reptiles and things like that and and i am definitely somebody that really likes to work with the carnivores yeah 
there are people that love bugs, like, that just... Well, yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's entomologists, but, you know, there's a lot of insect zoos out yeah. there, and, um, you know, uh, they can be pretty cool, like, like yeah. vinegaroons are super cool, they're a, they're a vinegar whip scorpion, I mean, there's a lot of really, I've worked with everything, tarantulas, you name it, um, yeah. I, I love all, almost all wildlife except for ticks, leeches, mosquitoes, and wasps. Wait, do you have to deal with that in the zoo, the zookeeping world? Mosquitoes? Yes. We work outside. Oh, okay. Never mind. I thought you meant like, keep, like I thought you meant like keeping no, them. No, 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 no. We, we don't keep them. We don't, we don't work with mosquitoes. We, we have to work with mosquitoes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we don't enjoy them. I don't think anyone likes I, mosquitoes. I follow this guy on Instagram called, named Phil Torres. Um, okay. And I don't even know why I follow him because, like, most of his posts are really weird. Um, but, like, he He's likes to listen put... to this. He... I know. Not a good friend, but I don't know Sorry, Phil. Like, I don't know why I follow you. You still follow him, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. But he, he puts, like, bugs on his face. He, oh, he like, goes through the yeah. rainforest and he puts, like, those giant, like, bugs on his face. Yeah. Like, that's... Yeah. I, think, I think bugs are really cool. You know, I'm a huge fan of, like of these invertebrates, all kinds of invertebrates. I actually have a nudibranch tattoo on my thigh. Um, nudibranch is like a sea slug. So I, I really do love invertebrates. I personally am not a fan, though, of people picking up animals in the wild. Mm. Um, I, If I see a snake in the wild, I do not pick it up. Um, the only time I'll pick up an animal is if it's like a turtle in the middle of the road and right. we're driving. But otherwise, I actually don't pick up anything, including bugs. I, I just, you know... I'd rather leave them alone. I, I think it's less stressful for the animal, too. So. so so do you find, like, different types of people are, are drawn to different types of animals? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, they're, totally. Um, and, yes, different keepers, like, different... <laughs> Uh, there's, there are types of keepers that will be bird keepers and there's types of people that, you know, are going to be the... That, that are like, that gravitate towards yes, yes, being yes. birds like keepers? All, like, um, yeah, there are definitely personality types that tend to be Ooh. marine mammal trainers and things like that. So let's start with you. <laughs> what, what, what is a feline slash raptor person like? <laughs> yeah, tell us. Uh, probably somebody like me who got placed in uh, the House of Slytherin. um yeah you know and then like a marine mammal trainer just to like help people conceptualize you know they'd be more like a hufflepuff so um yeah (laughs) and then maybe people that are into um like the landscaping of a zoo or or maybe even an insect zoo i have no idea you know they might be more like a ravenclaw or something so it's like there are definitely personality types and and you'll find them in the different sections of the zoo Hmm. yeah interesting (laughs) what do you think you'd be alana I don't know. What would I be? Well, you love cats. I love cats. You do love cats. You, I, don't know like that, like, I don't know that you could be like a lion. Like, yeah, I yeah. don't know if that translates. There's into so like... many different cats, though. I mean, yeah. I worked with sand cats, and those things were like five to seven pounds. Oh, okay. I could pick that up. Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't want to, but yeah. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like the smaller the cat, the meaner the cat or something. Yeah, they never... Yeah, they would like hiss and spit at me just when I would like look at them. Jeez. Yeah, they were... Okay, I don't know if I would have the, the fucking chihuahua for complex. That, you know? Yeah, you might be a good bird person, I think. No. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> she laughed so hard. Because that's I mean, I work with birds. I've worked, I've worked with a little bit of everything. So I mean, I'm not you know. Um, I'm a mutt. So, I have to know, what is the dumbest thing a visitor at the zoo has done? I mean, I'm sure you've seen some dumb shit go down, but yeah. girl, what is the dumbest thing someone has done? There's a lot of dumb stuff that people do. Uh, when, you, when you're when you open to the public, 
I mean, it's yeah. just anything like can go down. anything was, can happen. I don't. I I don't know if I like imagined this, but like, was this a thing that happened where somebody like took their kid and like, like put him over the bars? Like, I feel like that I saw. That happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> That this, like, makes no sense. Like, you don't need, like, putting your child out at arm's length yeah. isn't going to get them and that much closer to the not, animal. Yeah, yeah. and endangering yeah. them. I yeah. Mean, yeah. That, that has happened, and they've been, the children have been dropped in the exhibits many times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't turn out well. No. Um, no. Sometimes they never get the kid back. So, yeah, um, yeah that does happen. Uh, dumbest things. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that involves people climbing over barriers, um, you oh know, God. trying to get in with the animals. Again, it's like people want to pet them for some reason. <laughs> it's very strange. And, and, you know, maybe these people have mental illness, but some of them don't, and they're just extremely ignorant. Yeah. Um, and there are people that will throw garbage in, um, in with the animals. And it's I'm telling you, it's awful. Like, there was a hippopotamus at a zoo, and somebody threw a tennis ball in there because they thought that the hippopotamus would like it, and it choked and died on it. So <gasps> people... People that visit zoos, um, many times these, these members of the public will believe that they know best and they know what's better for the animal. But really, it's like, please leave it to the zookeepers. Like, we... We love these animals like our own. Like yeah. they are our family. And if the, if an animal doesn't have something, there is a reason for it. And if they have something, there's a reason for it. Yeah. Um, you know, I worked with a river otter who would eat like anything. He would eat towels. Yeah. Um, he would eat plastic. So it's like we we really had to limit what he had. And people will walk by and be like, "Oh, I feel so sad." You know, he's like depressed or something. And I'm like, "He's you know, that's not true. There's reasons for everything." And don't get me started on anthropomorphism because I just can't. <laughs> it's like a whole other thing. Oh. Um, but I will say. Um, so, so it sounds like you have very strong feelings on furries. No, <laughs> no, no, no. no. Uh, I don't want to talk about furries, but uh, anthropomorphism means that you are making assumptions about how an animal feels about a situation because oh, you right. feel something about a situation. You are attaching human characteristics yes. to an animal, uh, or, and a or lot a of animals they. Have have not evolved to have that capacity to even feel that expanse of different types of feelings and emotions because they simply do not need to to survive in the wild. And right. so, uh, you know, sometimes like people would look at the coyote and say, like, she's really depressed and I feel so bad for her. And I'm like, she's asleep. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she's She's literally asleep. She's right like now. sleeping. She's like twenty one. Yeah, like it's not a thing. But people, you know, they believe. They believe it. They they feel these things. You know, I feel sad for her, so she's obviously sad, and, and they don't know, and that that makes our job so much harder. Yeah. Um, but one of my least favorite things that people do that I think is very um, ignorant is they always seem to want to ask, "How can I get one as a pet?" So oh. that's a very common thing. Aside from the obvious, jumping into exhibits, throwing garbage in there, petting them, whatever. Uh, one of the things that really drove me nuts, and I know it drives a lot of other zookeepers nuts, is like, you know, we used to do a bobcat talk. And this one woman was like so insistent and she kept asking like, well, where can I get one? Well, how can I get one as a pet? Um, can I get it declawed? Like, you know, like all this stuff. And I kept telling her, I was like, in no way would a bobcat make a good pet. Like, please yeah. do not have a bobcat as a pet. They urinate on everything because they're very territorial because that's what they need to do in the wild to survive. You know, like, you don't want to declaw Like, you don't even want to declaw your house cat. I mean, it's yeah. like crazy. But she wouldn't stop. And so a lot of people think that these animals make good pets and they always want to know, where can I get one? 
Is there a black market for zoo animals that you can go and buy? Because, yes. you know, now that I think about it, like, you'll see Florida people, and Texas, like, oh, you'd get anything you want. Yeah, and like, it's not I illegal. have a pet X, and, like, that's yeah. just a thing that you can do. Yeah, a lot um, of um, a lot of states still, you know, have it legal to have any animal you want. That's, and that's created a lot of roadside zoos. So Whoa, if what? I can distinguish all the zoos I've worked with, including Smithsonian's National Zoo, they're all AZA accredited which means, you know, they have been approved, a stamp of approval from the Association of Zoos and Aquariums um, to adhere to the highest standards of animal husbandry and education. But there are also a lot of other zoos and roadside zoos or sometimes sanctuaries uh, that don't actually have to adhere to anything. Um, and a lot of them are a result of people just being able to purchase these animals online. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Whoa, wait. Are we exposing sanctuaries? Are animal sanctuaries real or are they not? <laughs> animal sanctuaries are real. Not all of them are bad, um, okay. but there's a lot of misinformation about them too. And a lot of people think that sanctuaries, because the name is you know so evoking of like such a beautiful paradise, yeah. a lot of people think automatically that a sanctuary is better than a zoo. They think of zoos as like bars and cages and things. Um, right. But actually, you know, zoos have to maintain a standard um, that sanctuaries, life, that sanctuaries right? yeah. don't have to. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah we got to make sure we're on top of our stuff more, more so than a sanctuary. But there are some sanctuaries yeah. that go above and beyond, and they're wonderful, uh, yeah. but, but many of them are, are simply roadside zoos. It's, it's crazy to me that people would even, like, look at an animal, like a random animal, like not even, like, a cat yeah. or a dog, but just, like, I want a lion as a pet. Let yeah, me let me have one. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, like it, it make, like it boggles my mind that you think that you have like the capacity to just bring it into your home and like think that it's cool. Right when there's uh, literally yeah. this whole <laughs> facility and organization that's built around keeping it alive and like staff members or and like whole or like facility, like do you, you know? not understand that that animal is like out in the wild like hunting and stuff like what makes you think that you're gonna be able to provide a good home for it like I exactly. like it. Yeah. Yeah, I was just talking to a girl who was telling me all about how her plan was to get a lion. <gasps> stop as a pet. It. And she was like, I'm sure if I raise it as a kitten, it'll love me no, forever. No! And, stop. and she was so sure. And I, I kept trying to talk to her and I was like, meat for a lion on its own is gonna cost you out of house and home. I mean it's like yeah. and they're extremely dangerous and there's nothing you can do to keep it from deciding to kill you like there's yeah it might even kill you by accident like there's you know but uh, and like do you meet a lot of these people like oh my gosh well zoos you know they draw them in i mean the thing is like we we're a hub for people that are fascinated with animals and you know how exotic they are and can be and and so people will come and and it's almost like 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 i i like animals but i don't like want to take any of them home like it's almost like they fetishized it like it's just like too much Yes, yeah. there there is a culture um, that's that's really all about like how cool it is to you know. To own. I don't want to get like yeah. too philosophical, but like you know, owning an exotic animal, you know, you know, dominating over something um, yeah. that is so interesting, unique, or dangerous. There is a, a level of thrill to it. Yeah. Um, and you know, not everyone is like that. I don't want to paint every person with the same brush. And I have many friends that have exotic animals, and they're really awesome people. But there are some people that just you know, I want to have one of everything. Um, you know, and this is my jungle. Like you know, I have. I I have now control of these amazing things, and it's it's really I don't know. Yeah, that's crazy. 
So, are zookeepers... Zookeepers? Sorry, zoo animals. Exactly like Madagascar. The, like the Madagascar movies. Which I am a very big fan of, as I like a lot of kids' movies. Like... Like, do they have crushes on each other across species? Yeah, and are like... they? So, so, uh, did you see that Madagascar yes. movie? Yes. I okay. have a friend who was actually the, one of the lead animators for the movie. <gasps> really? Yeah. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do all of the sequels? I also like the sequels. <laughs> I mean, he definitely worked on Madagascar 3, I'll give him, yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Hot money. Um, so... Are the actors Chris Rock? And, oh, Ben Stiller. Yeah, Ben Stiller. The uh, does he know them? Uh, I, I don't think he knows. I think they keep them separate. Though. Can he get them on the show? I think the animators <laughs> the animators don't hang out. With, I mean, he used to work yeah. for DreamWorks, but now he, he does a super <gasps> secret job for the federal government. He can't even talk about it. It's so secret. Oh, tight. Yeah. But how, do you go, how do you go from an animator to that? Because the government needs animations. Let's say if they were going to recreate Osama bin Laden's house before they send snipers in. Oh. Okay. Whoa, exposing okay. a government. Yeah. This is all coming to you live, guys, from a pre-recording. My name's not Rachel. It's actually Matilda. Yeah. I don't even live here. Um, so, you know how in Madagascar, he's like, oh my gosh, you know, I was raised in captivity. I don't know what it's like, but I want to know what it's like. Like, oh my gosh, I want to be in the wild. And oh wait, what is this all like? This is so weird. But So is it like totally like that? Like, do you think they long for being outside or they just don't know any different and they also don't have the capacity to know what longing is? <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Yeah, do you okay. remember that talk we just had about anthropomorphizing? <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. connecting dots over here, guys. This is live feed, a lot yeah. of learning. Yeah. Um, animals definitely have instincts, so um, they may have an internal drive to feel the need to do something. Like for cats, for example, you know, they'll need to stalk even though they're not hungry or, or things like that. What's stalk? Um, Wait, what's that? To like stalk something, you know, like you're hiding stalk. in the bushes and you're being to, like, a creepy stalker. Oh, stalk. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I thought stalk like stalking shelves and like they stockpile like chipmunks they definitely don't stock shelves or any sort of thing um yeah but like animals will have tendencies to behave in you know whatever natural behavioral way they they need to do things in their if they're in the wild but do they fantasize about being in a place they've never seen or been? I would say probably not. Uh, <laughs> a lot of animals and zoos are born in captivity, and so are their parents and their grandparents and things like that. They go back a, lo- a long way. So most, many, many animals that you see in zoos are, are not from the wild. Um, so they'll have no context. You know, they'll, they'll not be able to pull from anywhere and compare it to the situation that they're currently in. Yeah. Um, but like Madagascar, yes, there are some interspecies relationships what? that happen. Oh, um, penguin and dog, and or it, it goes or... back to um, to their instincts. So, like I worked in an aviary once. We, you know, which is a big netted area for lots of birds, and it was a mixed species exhibit. And we specialized in taking in birds that were non-releasable but had been rehabilitated. So they're they're sustaining permanent injuries that would make it almost impossible for them to survive in the wild. Mm-hmm. So we had them in our care, but you know, you get what you get. So sometimes there'd be like one of this bird and then one of another species, but breeding time would come around and the urge 
to breed a nest would be so strong that sometimes you would get two different species that would actually form a monogamous relationship. And oh. they would they would create a nest together and, you know, display oh. to each other and but then they, they wouldn't like lay eggs, like it wouldn't be possible, right? Uh if one was female she could lay in fertile eggs. Um but yeah. you know obviously they wouldn't create, nothing like, a would new happen. Species yeah, of... no. <laughs> nothing would happen. Um but yeah, we did have a pair uh, I think it was like lefty and green ears, but yeah, it was two different birds, and they every single year they'd have their little nest together. Aww. Yeah, and it's it's really just the drive is so strong for them to yeah. to want to breed that they just go through these behaviors. So even if we think like you know, oh that's so sad, like they're gonna have a baby, but again that you know, I was like, gonna say it's not love. Right, it's not, <laughs> it's not real love. It's, yeah. it's purely for <laughs> survival like and, yeah. and re reproduction purposes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, would you say that? given your past with zookeeping and also your own personal love for animals as a result or even what drew you to zookeeping has changed how you view animal movies. So like Madagascar or We Bought a Zoo. I have to know your thoughts on We Bought a Zoo. I didn't watch that, thank goodness. Oh, good. Don't oh my gosh, I, I don't want to watch sure. it, yeah. Or like, do um, you like watch Blue Planet? And Have you seen the new Blue Planet? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Do you ever watch it and be like, how do you feel about it, I guess? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, I think nature's amazing. I think even, you know, being an animal professional, I don't know nearly everything. And so if I'm going to watch a documentary, I watch it with an open mind completely. Yeah. So if there are behaviors never documented before, even if they're hard to believe, I just think, wow. You yeah. know, like, we're never done learning. There's, you know... Animals do all kinds of things, and they're constantly evolving as well. And so, you know, who's to say that we already know everything, every behavior they can do or, or things like that? I'm always amazed. Um, but I don't watch animals like we – or I don't watch movies like We Bought a Zoo. I, I purposefully do not watch those movies because I know that there's going to be – Yeah, I know I've, that it's going to upset me. Yeah. I've never heard of this movie. Oh, it did it sounds like well. It sounds like a it kid's movie. Is it Matt Damon? Uh, probably. Oh, my it's gosh. really bad. But also a comedy? Like a, I think so. Okay. Or I don't, I don't know. think it's supposed to be a comedy. It's like a family, and they like a zoo they was for like, sale, and they were like, "We'll just buy it." And like, it yeah, we'll it be was fine. Really stupid. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of to the opposite end, though. Do you watch movies like Madagascar or, or Ice Age, where it's like, "Oh, I know so much. Like this would never happen. These two <laughs> animals would never get along and form a herd. That's like not how it works." <laughs> Um, like, and does that dampen then, like, your love for those movies, or you can, you know, you can separate out, like, it's a kid's movie, it's meant to be cute and fluffy, yeah. and it doesn't show, like, the scarier sides of these species. I mean, I just want to yeah. know, like, what's the real deal? Do you watch this stuff? Can you separate it out? Or are you like, that would never happen, and that kind of ruins it That's a you. good question. So, if the movie is ridiculous, like Ice Age or Madagascar, where it's clearly not based on anything real right. and the animals are very much so acting like people, I actually don't have any reservations about what they do. We were talking um, off, off audio about Jurassic Park. Yeah. That... Would, that bothers me. So, like, Jurassic World, when the first... Oh, my God, when Jurassic World came out and Chris Pratt was using the clicker... Yeah, for the raptors. <gasps> you have oh, to train right. the raptors. That drove every zookeeper on Earth insane because he was improperly using the clicker. So it's like, <laughs> when a movie is trying to communicate, you know, like, a more realistic approach 
to the animals and then they get it wrong, that drives me nuts. But if it's something ridiculous like lemurs singing, you know, and like, <laughs> you know, all that stuff, then it's, then it's fine because I'm buying into the ridiculousness. But if you're right. trying to make me buy into the fact that you have, um, you know, a bunch of dinosaurs sitting in a warehouse ready to be auctioned and they don't even have a heating lamp when they're obviously ectothermic. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You know, they're cold blooded. You know, so. <laughs> Dang, got it right. You that was research. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> um, that sort of thing is like totally ridiculous to me. Like I couldn't let it go. Like I was just like, they're reptiles. They should have heated floors. They need like a UV lamp. Like... <laughs> It just was silly to me, and yeah. and the clicker thing was very much wrong. Um, so <laughs> it just thing he was just doing it wrong. A clicker is yeah. supposed to be a bridge. It's supposed to connect two different you know things. It's supposed to connect a desired behavior with an immediate positive reinforcer to increase the likelihood of that behavior happening again. But instead, yeah. he was just clicking it at them, and he was like <laughs> trying to like he thought well, they would I like they're like doing tricks or something. They weren't. Well, yeah. One time he was clicking it at them all. They were just sitting in their little like. Yeah. Cage thing. <laughs> and I was like, that's not even training. Like, I don't even that's understand. That's just annoying them because yeah. you can, you ass. Yeah. So that God, just... Chris, <laughs> do some research. Do a focus study. I know? was very surprised. I I don't know if they did do any research prior to that movie about clicker training, but that was like, could, couldn't be more wrong. So, um, that sort of thing bothers me. If they yeah. if they try to make it seem like this is a real thing and it could happen and it's like wrong, that yeah. I can't stand that. I get that. Yeah. Um, so after all of that, it sounds like you are still very passionate about zookeeping, but now, you know, like you've kind of transitioned away from that. How do you feel about those days? Like, do you still want to go back? <laughs> the most common question I get when people find out what my previous career was is always, do you miss the animals? That's the number one question that I get. I've even gotten it multiple times from like the same person over and over again because that's just that's like the go-to is and again it goes back to the misconception I think where people think that all we do is play with the animals um yes of course I miss the animals but 80 percent of my job wasn't hanging out with the animals you know what I mean like it it I, there are so many things about the job that are really great, but there are also, you know, a number of reasons as to why I don't do zookeeping anymore. Yeah. So I am really glad that I had those experiences and I do look back on them fondly. It definitely creates very interesting conversation <laughs> um, anywhere I go. Uh, I do enjoy being able to educate people about zookeeping and yeah. now I have the skills to train people. Um so, like, just like I trained my ex-husband to wash the dishes, you know, I'm training my current husband now to do stuff, and he doesn't even know I'm training him. So I really do enjoy that. So just make sure he doesn't listen to this. And <laughs> he knows. He's asked me. He's like, have you actually trained me to do anything? And I'm like, yeah, I have, and you just didn't even know. Um, so I'm, I'm really thankful I had those experiences. I think it's... Really. So I can train husbands. <laughs> yes, train people. I might need to like train take some people tips at work. From you. Yes, absolutely. People are animals, and you train them the same. You train them the same way. Um, but I also have a really great respect for blue collar jobs because yeah. zookeeping is totally hands on. You are like working through the main, the rain and the snow and and like everything, and you get paid very little. And I really have mad respect for people like that and first responders too, because um, zookeeping is kind of a weird blend of all of these things. So I'm glad I had the experience, but I'm also really glad that um, I am where I am now. Yeah. 
Uh, just because zookeeping is a really, it's a tough job. It's not for everybody. And physically, it's not really sustainable. You get a lot of injuries, um, you know, back injuries, things like that. I worked with a woman who got a concussion because a log fell on her head when they were, like, redoing an exhibit. So it, it's tough. It's tough and it's stressful. Um, but but it's maybe who I am, you know? Yeah. And do you have any advice for any aspiring zookeepers? Like, what's well, the number would you, one Would you first encourage people to pursue zookeeping? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> yeah. That's a good question because it's like a double-edged sword you know um zookeeping is super super cool but i think if you want to pursue zookeeping uh you should first start with volunteering at a facility because that'll really give you uh, a great insight and into the hands-on work and what goes into it Mm -hmm. um and then if you really decide that it's for you i highly encourage you to still go to college and get a degree in something else um because I think it's really important to always have a backup plan. Yeah. There are many people that become zookeepers and stay zookeepers for their, the rest of their lives, but there are more who don't, who don't retire as zookeepers. Um, you know, you don't know if you're going to get an injury or something's going to happen and you can't do zookeeping anymore. Um, and it, it certainly makes it challenging to pay the bills. A lot of my zookeeper friends have three jobs. You know, that's very wow. common. So... Uh, you know, if it's something you really want to do and it'll it'll bring you happiness, then I think you should absolutely pursue it. Uh, do I think you should put all your eggs in one basket? I would say no. Yeah. Wow. yeah it sounds like hard work. Like, it sounds like yeah. a, lot, a lot of hard work, but, it, like, it's meant for passionate people, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone that does zookeeping is extremely passionate. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. This has been a great interview. So thank you so much for coming on. Like, I, I thoroughly enjoyed your stories. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I have so many more. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, definitely we need to talk more about how you train people. I might take oh, some yeah, notes. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm happy to teach you how to train people. I'm always, like, willing to teach people because it's so useful. And you can yeah. do it in a way where they don't know they're being trained. So everybody wins. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> also, we, I have to ask... Um, how was your experience being on our show? First time being on the show. What do you think? It was great. Yeah? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I really like both of you anyway, so Aww. I think that Aww. makes the experience. Um, but I I would love to be on the show again if you'll have me. I think it's really great. Nice. Next topic, how to manipulate. I'm also Slytherin, so like I, oh, yeah. I, to- <laughs> I totally get it. I totally get it. Alana's, I think, a Gryffindor, so she's... Am I? I don't know. know. I've never taken the test. No, but she is really competitive. That's true. What does that mean? What does that mean? Slytherin. Oh, really? Slytherin people are pretty competitive. It's true. Okay. What are Hufflepuffs like? No one ever talks about them. It's always (laughs) Slytherin. Because no one wants to. Nice and (laughs) happy-go-lucky. Oh, bullshit. We hate them. We hate them. (laughs) (laughs) So does this mean, since you've been on the show and you've had this really great experience that you're going to tell all your friends and family to listen to this episode so that we can um potentially get more sponsors and um, <laughs> just like can you help a sister out and a brother like it's, come it's, on. it's okay we'll cut this out you don't have to answer oh my god no please do oh, i would be happy to share this with people because all the questions that you ask me are very common questions that we get and if i can help spread the word about this podcast but also about zookeeping um and yeah i i think why not you know let's let's send it out to the universe thank you thank, thank you, you so much Rachel. thank you for coming mm-hmm. on and thank yeah. you
And thank you for giving us a stamp of approval. Yes. You're welcome. That's the end of our show. I'm Alana. And I'm Francis. Find us on Instagram at hqaf.productions. We post every other week. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And until next time, the best ship to sail on is friendship. Welcome to HQAF Radio. I'm Alana. And I'm Francis. And this is a show about two best friends. Welcome to HQAF Radio. I'm Alana. And I'm Francis. And this is a show about two best friends. Welcome to HQAF Radio. I'm Alana. And I'm Francis. And this is a show about two best friends. Welcome to HQAF Radio. I'm Alana. And I'm Francis. And this is a show about two best friends. Welcome to HQAF Radio. I'm Alana. And I'm Francis. And this is a show about two best friends.